Thanks for joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in our series, Fresh Fruit, where we are diving into the fruit of the Spirit. As a believer, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of our lives. It should be shown in all that we say and do. Just as when you see an apple tree, you see apples on it. As a Christian, others should see you and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They should see Jesus in us. Our vertical relationship with God must be lived out in our horizontal relationships with others. So let's jump in together to this week's message of Fresh Fruit. We're so glad you're here. and I would define kindness as putting someone else before you and just like always being attentive and just like making sure that you are doing the best you can for others before kind of yourself. I think kindness is important because just being able to just do something kind for somebody, not knowing what type of day they've had can make a huge impact on someone's life and that can always lead to like a pay it forward type of situation. And I think just always meeting someone where they are and disregarding like how they've treated you and just doing something good because it's good um, is good. And I think that as believers in Christ, we have been called to be kind because that is what Jesus demonstrated for us and um, just being Christ-like and walking in his footsteps, I believe that is something that we should do. Morning, church. My name is Jacob. I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor here at Rolling Hills. And as we continue this fresh fruit series, I want to start by telling you a story of something that happened to me recently. We were uh, coming back as a family from a, a trip out of town in our, our minivan. You have a minivan when you have four kids. You, this is really your only option there uh, outside of a bus. Um, but we were traveling there and it started giving us some car trouble. So, so we had some car issues on the way home. We got home, realized we're going to have to get this uh, to the shop immediately, so we, we go to do that. The, the next day, I wake up to go get in my awesome truck. My awesome truck, I have this really awesome 2004 uh, Ford F-150 American Classic right there, and I go into that American Classic, and it just doesn't crank. And I'm like, okay, one car's dead, other one won't crank. Um, Lord, you're teaching me about peace and patience. I know. So I go through, I'm trying to crank it, and I'm like, man, what's going on here? I try to crank it again, just no cranking. So I reach out to uh, my friends at Moody's Tire and Auto um, and say, hey, guys, do you, uh, do you fix things like this? By the way, the rest of this illustration is sponsored by Moody's and Tire and Auto. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I reach out to them and say, hey, y'all work on this? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, it's dead. I'm going to have to get it towed. Who do you recommend? So gives me some numbers. I get ready to do all that. I was like, man, I'm going to go try it one more time. So I go and crank it one more time and it cranks. So I was like, I got to get it to the shop immediately. So I drove it up there real quick, came back home and they called me the next day and was like, what'd you say was wrong with this? And I was like, it won't crank at all. It just cranked one time out of the whole day. And they were like, well, it cranks every time for us. And I was like, of course it does. So I come and get it, it cranks for me, and then I come home, and this was on a, and then I come home, and then Sunday morning is the next time I drove it, and it was, I was getting ready to head to church, I go to crank it, g -g 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 nothing. So I have to text a staff member to come pick me up and bring me to church, I text, uh, I text them over there, like, hey, it's still 
giving me trouble. He's like, well, bring it in. So I keep trying it. Then one time it cranks and I take it over there. So this is about a week of me taking it in. It cranks for them every time. Every time I try to crank it, it doesn't crank at all. And I'm like, okay, I get it, Lord. You're trying to teach me something. So I keep trying this. I keep trying it. And then finally it, it culminates with me taking it back one more time and them calling me and say, look, it's cranking every time. However, my mechanic was working on this, and I, I, we were trying to figure out what's the one thing that's different from what you're doing from what I'm doing. And so they asked me, are you using a different key than we're using? I'm like, well, of course, I gave you my spare keys. I'm not going to give you my main keys because it has all my other important keys on it. And then as he says that, I look down at my keys and I look at the, notice there's a little hole in the top of the key. And then I have this flashback to earlier in the week before where my wife was like, hey, what's this little black thing I found on the ground that looks like a little piece of technology? I was like, oh, that must be one of the kids' toys. We don't keep trash around here. Throw that away. And I realized that that was the sensor to my key. So I go in there and in all embarrassment and shame. I mean, because who would think their key is the reason that it's not cranking? So I go in there and it cranks, and um, I told them, I was like, this is going to be a sermon illustration. As I left, I told them that. Um, but here's the thing. This is why I tell you this story, is because what I was trying to do is I was trying to crank this car, and that key that I had literally had no power to do the thing that I was hoping that it was going to do. Like, it, it was impossible for that key to crank that truck. It was literally impossible. They had the key that would crank it. I had a key that could in no way give me the thing that I desired in my heart, and that was for that truck to crank. And the reason I tell you this story is because we frequently do this daily in our lives. We try to get the thing that we think we want, the thing we, the thing we think we desire, and we try to use a mechanism in the world that literally has no power to give us the thing that we think we want in our heart. We think we want this thing that will bring us this human flourishing, but it has no possible power to give it. So as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and we, we look at this verse again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we look at these things, this is human flourishing. This is the thing that our heart was created to desire but yet we try to find these things in the mechanism that is the world we try to use the key that has no power to give us these things it can give us a fake almost cranking to where it feels like it's about to crank but it does not turn over there is only one thing that will turn over these things in our life and them to produce as a fruit and that is the holy spirit that we receive when we become followers of christ there is only one thing that can allow these things to be cultivated and produced in our life and that is the Holy Spirit. But I know as you look at these, as we've been wrestling with these, we're like, Jacob, I, I don't have all of these. I may be better at this one than that one, but I don't feel like I have the ability to be a joyful person. I know this person over here, they're, they're just more joyful than I am. I don't think I'll ever be that. But what I want you to see is this. As followers of Christ, you have, look at this, you have full access to every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. What I mean is you have access to being the most peaceful person that anyone around you knows. You have the ability to be the most joyful person. You have the ability to be the kindest person. We just haven't taken hold of that in our life. But you have full access. Let me show you in Scripture where it tells us this. It says, His divine power has given us everything or all things we need for a godly life or for godliness or holiness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us 
His very great and precious promise that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that caused by evil desires. What the scripture is telling us is that God has done everything that he was going to do to give you full access to holiness. And as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, that picture is what it means to be fully holy. He has given you access to this divine nature. We just haven't taken hold of it. We haven't taken hold of the things that he has given us. Think about it like this. Picture if God came to you and said, you are the greatest piano player to ever live in history. All you have to do is practice. That if you were to practice the piano, the eventual result would end up being you being the greatest piano player ever. This is what discipleship is. God has given us full access to be the most peaceful person, to be the most joyful. We meet him and he has done the power. He has bought the suit for us. We only have to put it on. Because in the context of what we're about to see in Ephesians, it talks about the putting on and putting off. Christ has given us the suit to put on. We must put off the old self and put on the new self, which is this holiness, which is this fruit. I say it like this. Maybe you've heard this before, that practice makes perfect. I say it to my kids all the time when it comes to sports. You've got to practice. They're like, did Michael Jordan practice? Yes, he had a bunch of talent, but he also put in practice every day. His talent met the end result in the practice, that when we practice, it makes perfect. And the same is true of our discipleship. God has done all the work to make us have all the things in the fruit of the Spirit. We just only have to practice it. But you're like, Jacob, I'm not perfect. Well, let me say it another way. Let's say it like this. Practice is the process of being made perfect. That as we practice joy, practice peace, we are being made more full versions of these things as we practice them. And the word practice literally means to make it so. That as we practice these things, we become perfect. Because here's the truth. We are not a group of perfect people here. But we are a group of redeemed people being made perfect. And that is what God is doing through this process in us. He is unleashing to us all access to the fruit of the Spirit. So which fruit of the Spirit are we honing in today? It is kindness. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4.32 and see what it says about kindness. The first thing it says is this. Be kind. Very straight. Just be kind. And then it connects it to and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. So the first thing we see out of this is a literal command that not kindness is not just something that we should be. It should be part of who we are and it should outflow from us, that we should be kind. So when I talk about kindness, think about this for a second. Who is the most kind person you know? Just think about it for a second. When you think about a kind person, who is the most kind person you know? I know you got somebody in your head. Now think about this. What makes them kind? What was it that the way they carry themselves, what marks in their life make you think of that person? How do they treat you that you think of them as kind? Now ask yourself this question. Is there anybody in your circle or my circle that considers us the most kind person they know? No, seriously, do you consider me the most kind you know? I need to. But think about it for a second. And that's what I love about the fruit of the Spirit. It gives us a moment for reflection and say, hey, where am I on this? Am I marked by kindness? But until we can 
understand where kindness comes from and, and what it is. It's hard for us to understand if we're living it out. So the first thing I want us to look at is where does kindness come from and what is the purpose of it? The first thing I want us to see is this. When we practice kindness, we are teaching theology. When we practice kindness, we're teaching theology. And what I mean by that is ology is the study of and theos is God. So we're teaching the study of God. When we practice kindness, we are teaching people that we are practicing kindness to what God is like. We are teaching people what God is like when we are kind to others. So when scripture tells us to be kind, he is teaching us to be kind so they know what God is like. Because kindness finds its origin in God himself. Because kindness is a crucial part of God's nature. It is a crucial part of God's nature. Kindness is who he is. It is a, the essence of how he deals with humans and deals with the world is kindness. When we think about God, one of the first things that should come to our mind is kindness. And as you look through scripture, you see multiple occasions of it teaching us about the nature of God being kind. Let me show you one of them. Psalm 36 says this. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. This phrase right here, unfailing love, can be translated a couple of different ways. Either unfailing love or um, never-ending love or steadfast love or loving kindness. But I love the way, if we think about unfailing love, what is God's kindness like? It is an unfailing love because what you'll see is the fruit of the Spirit are one fruit with a bunch of different aspects because they're all tied together. Love and patience is tied together with kindness. Love is patient. Love is kind. So when we think about God's kindness, it is an unfailing, steadfast, loving kindness. And if we stop and see that aspect of who God is, that we realize when we're kind to others, we're teaching people about this. But look what the next part says, that people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. What he's saying is people take refuge in your loving kindness, which means us as the people of God, we frequently take refuge in that part of God's nature, in his loving kindness. And often you see the word shadow, we see God's loving kindness more clearly even in the darkest, deepest valleys of our life. Like for me, this past week, we celebrated what would have been the 11th birthday of my oldest son who passed away after 15 minutes. And I know as I say that, you're, you're like, Jacob, how do you see the kindness of God? How do you see the, the loving kindness of God in the death of a son? That seems impossible to me, but it's all about perspective. Because when we found out he, he had a disorder that he may not live past birth, the loving kindness I see is that God allowed me to have 15 minutes with him in my arms. And I could tell you numerous stories of God, how God used other people during that time to show his loving kindness to us. But I just tell you that so you can see that no matter where you are today, you are in the shadow of his kindness. Sometimes we just need to step back and see it. But we also see that kindness is actually how God deals with it. It's not just who he is. It's how, it's the essence of how he deals with humanity. In fact, kindness is how God changes us into his likeness. It's how he refines us. Look what Romans 2, 4 says. It says, how do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. 
that it is his kindness that the reason, part of the reason he deals with us is this way is kindness so that we would be led to repentance, that when we would stop and realize how much kindness that he's lavished on us, it would move us towards holiness and away from sin to make us less selfish, more kind, to make us less argumentative, more joyful, to move us from anxiety to peace. Like he is using this to move us in a motion forward of repentance that God uses his kindness to change us into the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And the second thing I want us to see is that Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's kindness. That you want to see what God's kindness is truly like, it is that Jesus is that ultimate expression. Look what Ephesians 2, 7 says. It says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So the ultimate expression of God's kindness is that he sent his son to earth to die for you and for I, even though we did nothing to deserve. This is the ultimate expression of God's kindness that he gave us his son as a sacrifice for you and for I. And think about this for a second. Not only is he expressed in sending us Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus himself was the ultimate expression of what kindness looked like on earth. The way Jesus carried himself was full of kindness. I say it like this, that Jesus was frequently moved by compassion and then acted in kindness. This verse said that we should be kind and compassionate. Jesus showed us what that looks like in everyday life. I could show you verse after verse after verse of Jesus coming by people, being moved by compassion, compassion welling up or being compelled inside of him. And what the response was, was him acting in kindness to care for the person that he had compassion on. That what Jesus was modeling for us, for us to carry ourselves in the same way, to be moved by compassion towards kindness to one another. That we would be moved and well up inside of us. You're like, but Jacob, what's the difference between compassion and kindness? Well, kindness is the outworking of the compassion. But look how, look at this definition of compassion from Frederick Buechner. Compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside someone else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. That what compassion does is opens our eyes to others. Because frequently when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we're like, I don't have this. I don't have this. But what we miss is part of that fulfillment of the fruit of the Spirit in us is that serving others helps us to find peace and joy. That we see others who are lacking the peace and joy. And part of our fulfillment is being servants of one another, being kind to one another, and helping others find that peace and joy. That we can never be fully full of peace and joy until those around us, the people that God's placed in our life, have that peace and joy as well. And we see that Jesus displays his compassionate kindness to us daily. That the way Jesus deals with us is daily lavishing us with this compassionate kindness. If we were to just stop and evaluate and reflect on our life, we could just see how many moments that Jesus daily is dealing with us with this aspect of who he is with compassionate kindness. Because God lavished us with so much compassion and kindness so that we would have more than enough to give to others. 
that he gave us with so much compassion and kindness that if our, if our heart is a cup, he poured into our cup more than we need so we would have more than enough to give to others. That we would be a people marked by kindness, that it would overflow out of who we are to the people around us, that he gave us more than enough to give to others. And I, guys, I know that there's days when we're tempted to be anything but kind. There's days when we're tempted to be anything but kind, that everything in our life is weighing down of us. If you would have come knocked on the window when I was trying to crank my truck and it wouldn't crank, it would have been really hard for me to be kind to you. But God supernaturally gives us this ability. And what he does is he's so kind to us so we can step back, see that kindness, and lead us to be more Christ-like, to lead us to be more kind to others. So, okay, we, we know that God's nature is kind. We know that Jesus is the ultimate expression of that, that he came, lived, died, and rose again for us. That is a picture of God's kindness. In fact, he was the picture of kindness and how he interacted with humanity and that we should be kind and compassionate. So what does that look like for us? What is the practical outworking of kindness for us? And I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying this. I asked you earlier if I was one of the kindest person you know, but I'm just going to fill you in. I'm a pretty kind person. Because, like, when I'm working out in my neighborhood and the trails around my house, I wave at pretty much every person I come across. I know how benevolent of me. So, like, when I'm working out, by working out, I mean walking really slowly through my neighborhood. I I made it a point to wave at every single person I come across. I'm joking, but I, I actually believe this that the base level of kindness is human acknowledgement. The base level of kindness is human acknowledgement. Let me, let me explain what I mean. When I make a commitment to wave at every person that come across, what you don't know is what every person that's on that trail or on that street is going through. They may have just received the worst news that they've ever had in their life, and the only thing they could do is muster up enough strength to go for a walk. And as they're going for a walk, they see another human raise their hand and acknowledge their existence. That in that moment, our base level kindness may remind them that God is kind and that God loves them and that they are worthy. They could have just gotten in a fight with their spouse and they're going for a walk or they could have been in isolation and they haven't seen people in a while and they're just going to be with humanity and you may be the only person they come across and God wants to use us at that base level of human knowledge and say, hey, I see you, I know you, I acknowledge you, and so does God. At just the base level of human acknowledgement. And the next piece is this. That community cultivates kindness. That when we're with other people in person, physically with other people, it cultivates kindness inside of us. Where the opposite isolation degrades our ability to be kind to one another. And when I talk about community, what I don't mean is curated community. And what I mean by curated community is where we pick and choose people that only think like us, only say the things that we agree with, only are just like us. When we create these type of tribes or community where we only hear an echo chamber of what we already believe, that is not the type of community that fosters kindness. The type of community is true community when we just grab a group of people and we have to exist with them. 
We have to be with them. Think about every movie you've ever seen where there's a collection of unlikely companions that come together. At first, you're like, these people don't belong together. They don't like each other. But the more time they spend in physical presence with one another, the more they see not the differences, but the humanity, and they begin to have compassion on one another. They begin to see inside of them and say, this is a person. They look them in the eyes and say, I have compassion on this person. Because I have a ton of people in my life that do not think the way I think. They think totally different than I do. They believe totally different things than I do. Whether it be religion or politics, they think differently than I do. And, but the more I spend time in person, some of these people are my favorite people in the world. And they just think totally different than me. But they are people and I love them. And I got to that love by spending time with them and trying to understand why they thought the way they thought, why they believed what they believed. And hopefully they're doing the same to where compassion wells up in me as compassion wells up in them. And we just exist and live together in community that's cultivating kindness. Now, this is a struggle sometimes because, you know, online, I don't know if y'all know this, but online is not the kindest place in the world. And let me tell you why that is. This may sound wild, but a drone strike is much easier than hand-to-hand combat. It's much easier for me to push a button and attack from a distance than it is to look someone in the eye and say, I'm going to fight this person. And I say that because when you sit in community with people on a regular basis and you start to see them like, And this is when we think about our kindness being marked by kindness as believers. If you wouldn't say it looking them in the face, why would you say it online? If you wouldn't look a person in the eyes and say the things that you say, why would you? You know, honestly, I'm going to be very transparent here. I see all the time people sharing things where it says, this person destroys this person for their beliefs. Watch this and share it with your friends. Or this person annihilates this human. Share it with your friends. See, here's the thing. Words create worlds. And when we use language like that, this language of destruction and chaos, we are creating a world of destruction and chaos. Because really what it's saying is human being destroys another human being for opinions they have. I want us to start sharing articles that says this. Human who has differing views than other human sits down, talks about, and becomes friends. Like, what if we just sat down with people we disagree with and said, let's have coffee. Come to my house. Let's, let's talk about this and help me understand and let me help you understand what I believe as well. Because this, kindness to those who disagree, we disagree with is a perfect picture of the gospel. Because if we're only kind to people that agree like we do, that is not the kindness of the picture of the gospel. The kindness in the picture of the gospel is kindness to even our enemies. A kindness that shows us who God is like. Because this kind of kindness costs us something. Because true kindness costs you something. Tim Keller said that it's not biblical kindness if it doesn't make you vulnerable. But we go out of ourselves and we open ourselves up to cost us something. I mean, even the base level kindness, when I wave at somebody that walks by me, I'm, I'm making myself vulnerable. I'm opening myself. If you, if you go out of your way to be kind to somebody, you're, you're costing you something. And listen to what Henry Nowen says. I love this. Our humanity comes to its fullest bloom in giving. 
And the idea of kindness towards others comes to its fullest bloom and giving. We become beautiful people, the people that are identified by the mark of the Holy Spirit, the mark of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. These type of people are beautiful people when we give whatever we can give. A smile, a handshake, a kiss, an embrace, a word of love, a present, a part of our life, or all of our life. That true kindness is when we give of ourselves, and we are actively looking for moments to give of ourselves, even if it costs us something. This is the biblical kindness that it talks about. Now, if you were to, if you were to Google kindness right now, you're going to see a bunch of things that come up about random acts of kindness. Here's random acts of kindness, perform random acts of kindness. You know what I'm talking about. You may have been benefited from some random acts of kindness in the past that you're in the line at the coffee shop and they tell you, hey, the guy behind you just paid for your drink. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. And you know, I truly believe that kindness begets kindness. Kindness gives birth to more kindness that you pay for the coffee in front of you and they pay it for the next person and pay for the next person unless you're that person that gets your coffee paid for and then you look in the rearview mirror and like, you know, it seems like there's about four people in there. I don't know, maybe... Maybe I'll get them next time. Oh, they're looking at their phone. Seems like there's a list involved. I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'll wait. But this is what I want us to see, that this random acts of kindness, I love the heart behind it, but I think it's missing the point. That it's not, kindness is more than random acts of kindness. It is the way of Christ. That it's not random acts of kindness. It is intentional kindness to others. That we go out of our way to be looking, to be actively having holy eyes to see the people around us and intentionally looking to serve others in such a way because that is the way that Christ lived. That this is the way of Christ to care for people, not randomly, but intentionally. Because I truly believe there is nobody in your life that wasn't put there for a reason. That you live where you live for a reason. That the people around you are there for a reason. These aren't random acts of kindness. These are intentional acts of kindness because this is the way of Christ. You know, earlier I told you that we just celebrated the, the 11th birthday of my oldest son who passed away. You know, and like I said, I could, I could tell you so many intentional acts of kindness during that time. But, you know, this past week we were celebrating. We were talking about it with our, with our kids. You know, one of them was a little emotional about it. But when you think about acts of kindness, it doesn't matter how small or what they look like. It is reminding you of the picture of who God is. And this past week when we were walking through that, our community group just out of the kindness of their heart, just bought a bouquet of flowers and put it on our porch. And you're like, that's just a bouquet of flowers. But you know what that bouquet of flowers did? It reminded us that Elijah's life mattered, that our pain mattered, and that God loved us, and he was showing that just through a bouquet of flowers from the people that he's put around us. When you think about acts of kindness, one of the kindest things I remember anyone ever doing for me was just they came at night and knocked on the door, and it was dinner time, and they were like, hey, we, we brought dinner for your family. It's like, why? It's like, because we love you. Here it is, and we left. But those acts of kindness, there's these intentional acts of kindness could be the thing that reminds people that they're worthy, that they're loved, that they're seen. And it may be the key that cranks the truck to unleash who God is and who he wants them to be in the world. That our kindness is not wasted, that our kindness is needed, that our kindness is honestly one of the most powerful tools of evangelism we have. There are numerous stories throughout Christian history of people coming to Christ just through the kindness of his followers. We hear story after story, but I, I fear that of late, 
we've hindered our evangelism because of the church not being, and I say church, big church in general, not being people marked by kindness. Not being people marked by the kindness that Christ teaches us to. But when we are the people that are sent out to the world with this irrational, radical kindness and compassion to others. It is one of the greatest tools of evangelism they could have. That if you're talking to an atheist and they understand God to be a cruel and unloving God, but we are kind to them, we help them see the gospel, that we're living an apologetic to them about who God is. We're teaching them theology and maybe, just maybe, more people will come to Christ and taste and see that the Lord is good. Or you could actually translate that, taste and see that the Lord is kind. So as we think about, you know, if you looked online, you see so many challenges of kindness. And I, I got one for us today. I just got three things I'm challenging to. What is one way to practice kindness in your home this week? What is one way to practice kindness to the people in your home? It doesn't matter if you were to ask the people in your home, is the, are you kind? Don't ask my family. I'm being serious. Don't. But who's going to teach them kindness if you don't? We're teaching them kindness on a daily basis right now. But it doesn't matter how you've acted in the home up until this moment. What matters is how we act this moment forward. What are we going to do this week to be intentionally kind, to give of ourselves to the people we live with? What is that one thing that's between you and God to help you see what that thing is that you can intentionally be kind to the people in your home? And what about this? What way can we practice kindness to our neighbors this week? God has placed us with a reason everywhere we are, with the people around us. What is one thing you can do to randomly, intentionally be kind to the people around you? And maybe, just maybe, it's just knocking on the door saying, hey, would you like to come have dinner in my home? Or maybe it's just to take them dinner. Or maybe it's you've never even learned their name and you're going to say, you know what? This week I'm going to go and be intentional about learning the people that God's placed around me. And what about our community? What I mean by community is anything outside of our neighborhood. The schools of our kids, the sports teams of our kids, our, our workplace, uh, the Walgreens we frequently go to, wherever it is. What is one way for you to intentionally be kind in your community this week? And you can look at all these three things as, as, as another way to say it. How am I going to share the gospel through my kindness this week to those that God has placed in my life? Because the verse that we studied today says, Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us. And when we look at it through those lens, we realize how much kindness God has lavished on us just so that we would have enough to give to others. Let's pray. Father, if there's anybody in this room who has not taken hold of your loving kindness, Lord, the kindness you showed us in sending your son Jesus to die for us on the cross and to be raised again so that we may have a new life. I pray that they would not go another day, that they would not leave this room without taking hold of that gift of salvation today, Lord. They would taste and see that you are kind. 
And if there's anybody in this room, Lord, who makes that decision, Lord, we would love to talk with you after the service here at the front. God, please move in their hearts, Lord. For the rest of us, Lord, that have taken hold of that, Lord, remind us in our heart now of all the ways you are daily kind to us in our salvation and in our sanctification as you're changing us, God. Remind me of this kindness. And Lord, send us. Forgive us of the places we've been unkind, Lord, but send us this moment forward as an army of kind Christ followers that look like you in the world, Lord, so we teach people what you are like, Lord, and that a whole army of people come to know that kindness, Lord. Use us, Lord. Use us to be your hands and feet to the people you place around us. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.